This is Founders Talk, an interview podcast hosted by me, Adam Stachowiak. We profile founders building businesses online as well as offline. And if you found this show on iTunes, we're also on the web at 5x5.tv slash Founders Talk. If you're on Twitter, follow Founders Talk and me, Adam Stack. Today's guest is Eric Kuhn, founder of Founders Card. Enjoy the show. I'm here with Eric Kuhn, founder of Founders Card. It's a new benefits package that's... uh, Exclusively aimed at founders and entrepreneurs, which is which is awesome because this is this is founders talk. But uh, Eric, I'm happy to have you on the show. Why don't you say hello? Hey everyone, it's great to be with you, Adam. So Eric, let's uh, let's kick this off with talking specifically about you and your past. As I, as I understand, you got quite a history, and I'd love to know more about how you got started. Sure. Yeah, this is uh, Internet 2.0 for uh, for me here. My uh, story goes back to after a pretty brief law career, like a lot of uh, entrepreneurs. I'm a reformed attorney. I practiced corporate and real estate law back in the mid-late 90s, briefly. And uh, one day when I was uh, in my law office, we came up with the idea for selling textbooks online. And this was back in 97. And uh, came up with uh, what at that point was the original business model around bringing the, the textbook industry online. I started a company called Varsity Books. Um, the original idea was to compete with the college bookstores, convincing all of the college students to, to buy from us instead of the big, bad, monopoly campus bookstore. And uh, we, in a, uh, a pretty short period of time, went through a crazy sort of classic internet story of uh, ups and downs. In our case, it had um, more twists and turns than, than many of those original internet companies. Um, it had a, another set of uh, ups and downs and uh, you know, fortunately ended on a, a high note. But um, it was through that experience that uh, kind of uh, got to um, see all the, the, the pains and the challenges and the phenomenal highs and lows of, of being an entrepreneur and uh, been at it ever since. So this is – Varsity Books was built late 90s in the dot-com bubble-ish era, I guess pre-obviously because you kind of went through that. Um, and you ultimately took the company public to be listed on the NASDAQ. What was that experience like just building a company that, with hyper-growth and that kind of scenario? Sure. I mean it was really two startups – Back to back. The first was um, from 97 till ultimately when we went public uh, about two years later. Uh, that original dot com consumer facing model, uh, which required constant marketing efforts convincing students to, to buy from us, uh, we raised what in retrospect feels like an insane amount of venture capital money. I think we did three rounds um, uh, for a total of something like 40 million. Uh, and then immediately after that went public. We were in constant uh, fundraising mode. Uh, we were adding about uh, 15, 20 employees on a weekly basis. I think at our peak when we went public, we had about 250 employees. Uh, and that was an, an all-out, fast-paced uh, environment where we were just constantly trying to innovate and stay ahead of our uh, competition, the, the, the college bookstores and their uh, counterparts, all of them pretty much tried to change their models into uh, internet strategies and compete with us. And the, the rules were um, 
just focusing on growth, almost irrespective of cost. I think people kind of look back on that model, um, largely a discredited model. But in our case, um, we were um, we were able to to stay ahead of that uh, that pack in our category, and it was an incredible time. I, I was uh, 27 at the time, 29 when when we ultimately went public. Um, you know, we we were able to execute pretty well under that model, but uh, I don't think there'll ever be anything like like that again. Uh, and then almost immediately after we went public and were listed on the Nasdaq, um, something crazy happened. Uh, the the Nasdaq, the technology market, started crashing for I guess the first time or the first time in uh, in my lifetime and. It's kind of sitting there, um, thinking, "Oh my God! You know, we just went public. This is supposed to be a um, you know sign of success, uh, a time of sort of celebrating." Now I'm thinking, "Oh my God, we're going to be out of business in three months, and unless we did something radically different." And so, I remember going to uh, my board, um, you know, very shortly after we were public, and and going in there with a. It was a graph of basically showing we're going to be out of business in three or four months at the, the rate that we were burning through cash and um, said to them, we've got to throw this business model out the window and figure something out. And uh, we basically rebuilt the, the airplane midair. It was, it was um, you know, we were, we were public and we were trying to figure out how in the world were we going to change the, the, the game here, change the business to be able to to quickly get profitable when we were set up for an entirely different uh, different business model, and um, it it occurred to me um, that I remember some of the private high schools that uh, uh, were buying books from us, uh, unlike colleges and universities that had the ability to convince a, a Barnes and Noble or one of these large players to build a beautiful college bookstore and sell everything from makeup to sweatshirts as well as the textbooks. These private high schools, which required the parents to to buy the books for the kids, they didn't have the scale to be able to offer uh, or to be able to outsource uh, a bookstore to a Barnes & Noble to come in and and build a similar situation. So they were stuck um, selling textbooks out of their closet or having the math teacher uh, sell books out of the cafeteria the first week of school. Um, and it was an entirely inefficient process. And you know, it occurred to me, hey, why don't we take our assets, our brand, uh, the relationships that we have in place, and come up with a solution to this, this pain and uh, allow these high schools, these private high schools, to outsource their bookstore function. And so we, we changed everything almost overnight and um, allowed and, and developed a program for these schools to outsource their bookstore to us. And um, this was now, I guess, you know, sort of 01, 02, and the, the, the dark days of, of internet businesses. Um, and uh, pretty much everyone left, you know, left us for dead. I think the Wall Street Journal wrote that we were out of business at one point. Um, and it was an immensely lonely, challenging time in which um, you know, we went from being the, the kings of the, the dot-com world, at least in Washington, D.C., where uh, we were based, to a situation where the phones stopped ringing. It was like everyone assumed 
we we were um, dead or about to die, and no one wanted anything to do with us. And um, in retrospect, it was that um, that period that sort of allowed us to to do things the right way, uh, figure out a, a business model that. Um, was going to be profitable from the start. Um, you know, we went from a situation where the more we sold, uh, or you know, we went from a situation in which we were heavily discounting textbooks and spending tens of millions of dollars convincing students to come to our site and then come back to our site to one in which we, um, because of these exclusive agreements with the private high schools and the, the second model, we um, didn't have to market at all and we didn't have to um, uh, have a situation where we were spending um, crazy amount of, of money convincing people to come and buy books from us. The, the schools would tell the, the parents to go to Varsity Books, find your school, and, uh, and the books would be picked, packed, and shipped without the need to, uh, to spend crazy dollars or without the need to discount in our case. So we went from a business model that was bleeding cash to one that uh, made sense financially. And so our challenge then was how in the world are we going to convince schools to do this? It was a natural for them to want to get out of doing something that was a, a huge pain for them, something they never wanted to do but had no choice. Um, but, but the greatest challenge was really convincing them, unlike all of the other dot-coms that they were reading about in the newspaper every day going under, we, in fact, were going to stay in business and we were going to be able to deliver on the promises that we were, we were making. So um, during that period, we, we uh, built the company back up. I think we went from 250 employees down to something like 14 or 15. Oh, man. Yep. And, uh, and that, was, that was one of the most depressing and um, challenging times because you were um, building a business with great people that, uh, you know, you surrounded yourself with. And all of a sudden, you know, you realized that the, it, it, it didn't make sense. And so, um, you know, you had to sort of separate um, what's the right thing to do for the business from, you know, what feels good. And that was a, uh, a dilemma that uh, faced a lot in, uh, in that business and rebuilding the business where, you know, you had to do things that, uh, didn't feel good, but were certainly in the best interest of building the business. So, um, but once we identified this this model, and once it started to get some early traction, we were able to to build up again. Um, you know, it didn't mean quickly hiring uh, another 150 people, but it did mean um, growing the business in an exciting way. Um, we were able to scale it up again fairly rapidly from 01 to I think 03 or 04. We uh, grew revenue at a very fast clip, and uh, one of the high points then became um, being able to actually get listed again on the NASDAQ. And I, I don't know if this is still true, but there was a time in which we were the only dot-com to have gotten delisted by the NASDAQ and then actually uh, relisted. So that was a really fun, a really exciting time. And sort of that that second business model, when we were building it up again, it, it felt more real. It felt um, everything we were doing felt it felt amazing. It felt great. It wasn't as action packed, perhaps, as that first couple years when uh, everything was you know happening so quickly. But um, we were we were growing. We were um, you know making uh, the business was was growing profitably, and it was uh, in many respects an even more exciting uh, exciting time. You mentioned something pretty important, uh, pretty interesting there, 
when you say the second business model. And I had a conversation yesterday, which actually will become episode number 11 of, uh, of Founders Talk with the um, CEO and co-founder of Unbounce. And they're a two-year-old company, and they have been in a incubation slash bootstrapping mode for the past couple of years and have been resisting, heavily resisting taking any funding or anything like that at all because they didn't know for sure if their business model would have worked. Now, it sounds like in your scenario, you kind of got a little bit of a wind. You got uh, a number of series of funding. You got listed on the NASDAQ and you kind of blew it up and you were burning cash and you realized in all of that that your business model really didn't work. Is that the case? Well, I mean, it was the case that the the first business model, like so many of those consumer-facing dot-coms, required um, a lot of cash to to get it off the ground, build it up. And, you know, we were selling a a product at a very low uh, margin. And, um, you know, whether or not eventually we would have been able to um, eke out a profit under that first model or, you know, and, and, and sort of get to where we needed to be. But we'll never know for sure. But, you know, it was clear that it wasn't sustainable in an environment that we couldn't um, constantly or, or, or we didn't have the ability to raise uh, additional uh, resources or additional capital when, you know, when we would need to. So, and it's, it's also interesting that, you know, everyone uh, has their own experiences. And, you know, we'll, I know we'll get into Founders Card in a, in a few minutes, but, as um, you know, I was sort of gravitating and trying to figure out what business to start after Varsity, uh, I definitely gravitated towards, uh, towards a business that could be profitable uh, very early on and had a, um, you know, a very strong uh, financial uh, business model behind it. Well, that's a, that's a good point then. So what is Founders Card? So you know, Founders Card, um, it does come from my own experience you know, as an entrepreneur, uh, having experienced the, the ups and the downs, the troubles, the challenges, the, the, the highs, um, it, you know, it, it occurred to me a number of times um, while I was running Varsity that uh, you know, it, didn't, it didn't seem fair that the executives of the investment banks we were working with and some of the other very large businesses out there were receiving unbelievable rates and benefits from you know, these amazing, amazing companies. And it always struck me as odd that uh, it wasn't the entrepreneur, the true value creators, the people that were taking risks. You know, I thought these are the people that deserve unbelievable deals and benefits from leading companies. And so um, we came up with the idea of Founders Card. It was in part to reward entrepreneurs, to, to give them a leg up, to do something for them um, in a world where they're constantly facing challenges and struggles and needing to prove themselves against all odds um, and, uh, and, and really to create something that was going to, to give them uh, an unbelievable you know, opportunity. In a, a weird way, perhaps my way of, of, of giving back to the entrepreneur. And so um, we set out to, to really do two things simultaneously. Uh, the, the first was to build an unbelievable list of benefit partners that range from uh, travel partners like uh, American Airlines and Virgin Atlantic, uh, hotel partners like W Hotels, um, as well as um, top-tier business partners. 
uh, and to develop truly customized offerings with them. Um, in many cases, it's not just about great discounts or rates, but it's also about value add or some truly customized, never done before uh, arrangement with these these partners. Um, simultaneously, we set out to build a membership base of entrepreneurs that really ranges from first-time entrepreneurs to very seasoned, serial, been there, done that entrepreneurs and kind of everyone in between. The, the sweet spot is definitely uh, the, the venture-backed or angel-backed entrepreneur that um, has uh, started a business and is you know, focused on growing the business and, uh, and uh, is uh, starting to uh, uh, get some traction and can really appreciate and take advantage of these offers that uh, we put together. And so um, we started this about a year ago. We have added into the mix some amazing networking events and opportunities, and uh, it's been very well received, and we're, we're thrilled with the, the progress and the traction that we're seeing. So you mentioned that um, starting Finders Card, you wanted to start something that could be profitable early on. How did you, how did you test the business model of Finders Card, like what would the process be that you just knew that when you started this, this would be the kind of business that could be profitable pretty quickly? Well, I mean, a lot is and I've learned you just rely on instincts, but um, you know, I'm a great believer that um, you go out there with a product that you think is right, think it makes sense, but to go out with a product pretty quickly. I I don't think there's I'm, I'm not a huge fan of. Uh, test marketing something uh, heavily or, or focus grouping something heavily. You know, for me, the focus group was I gave 100 complimentary memberships to, to friends to um, really go and, uh, and to become members and see what it was about and help me build the community. And uh, uh, it was live. I remember after I mailed those first 100 memberships, uh, immediately I said to myself, oh my God, what did I just do now? There's no turning back. But it's that kind of um, pressure or it's that kind of getting to market, going live environment that I operate the best in. That sort of, um, uh, I, I guess it's sort of the, the pressure I need to, to say, hey, I'm really into this. Now I've got to make this um, an exceptional product, an exceptional company. Uh, in terms of specifically the model, though, um, you know, it, it uh, was something that we decided, other than those 100 complimentary memberships, which you know had its own purposes. Um, we uh, ever since then have charged for membership, and you know we do that for a couple of reasons. One, obviously, as a, a source of, of revenue for the business, but um, two, you know, what we've learned is that if someone is making a conscious decision and opening up their wallet and buying into and applying for membership and uh, and paying to do so, they're likely to be much more heavily connected to the organization. And we really look for our members to not only take advantage of the benefit offerings, but to contribute in all sorts of ways. We want them to actively participate and attend networking events. We want them to suggest other benefit offerings. We want them to connect us to other fellow entrepreneurs, refer others for membership. And um, you know what we've learned, and, and it may seem you know, very obvious, but when people are paying into an organization, they um, are much more connected to it, much more actively involved in it. And that's really the kind of dynamic 
community that that we've wanted to build and and uh, you know we've we've uh, been focused on since day one. So you mentioned loneliness earlier in your first uh, ventures into the tech world with uh, your startup uh, Varsity Books and. It seems like you know a members-based business here. You're kind of bringing people together. So this is out of a. Um, you mentioned it was also a sad moment too. Whenever you were on that downfall with Varsity Books, that you were. It was a very sad moment to be lonely and um, in that space. So this is about bringing people together. So it's a members-based business. Um, it's invite only. Is that right? It is invitation only. Um, you need to get referred by an existing member and apply. And, you know, again, we do that for a number of reasons, uh, mostly because it helps us um, maintain generate, growth, right? Maintain growth, obviously, but also um, generate, you know, high quality membership base. People are referring people that they think are going to be actively involved in the community and uh, participate and uh, you know it's, it's worked well. But yeah, I mean, the, the networking perhaps is a, is a response to that, that loneliness or, you know, when you're focused on uh, building uh, a new business, you, you get in many cases completely consumed with it and everything, at least my approach at varsity um, from the moment I woke up in the morning, I uh, usually way too early to the moment I went to sleep and Unfortunately, uh, many times the, the dreams between had to do with uh, the business. And so um, it, uh, uh, it's a situation where you're so focused on building your business that you don't always um, take the time to pull back and connect with other people, other founders who in many cases are going through very similar experiences. And, you know, um, after, after I um, uh, sold my shares at, at Varsity and left being um, the, the CEO and took a little time off, I connected with a lot of uh, people who approached me and asked me about starting a business. And, you know, it, it did occur to me that there's so many people out there with, with brilliant ideas, um, very bright people that um, in many cases don't know where to begin to start a business. How do I take this idea and um, how do I have a website built? How do I think about raising money? Do I even need to raise money? How do you think about that? And so um, the networking side um, really um, it is to give people an opportunity to, to connect with um, you know, entrepreneurs who are, in, of course, going through very similar experiences. It's also um, an opportunity. We try to take a little bit of a different approach to it. I mem- mentioned how our membership base really ranges from first-time entrepreneurs to very seasoned, well-known uh, entrepreneurs, many of whom are, are running um, very – you know, some of the hottest, uh, most well-known um, companies uh, on the planet. Um, but the networking opportunities are also an opportunity for entrepreneurs to connect to uh, fellow entrepreneurs at different levels um, and to really cut through the, um, the, the ranks, if you will, of an entrepreneur. And we think of you know, people as you're either an entrepreneur or a risk taker or you're not. You're, you're not um, – you know, a good or a bad or successful or unsuccessful entrepreneur. And so I think it's, it's also incredibly valuable for people who are just starting out and or who are, you know, um, building a business the, the first or second time to be able to tap into the experiences of people who have done it multiple times. And similarly, for people who have, um, you know, built uh, 
successful businesses to be able to give back and to mentor and to advise and connect with people who are doing it the first time. And I know that's a thrill, and I think that's also you know a huge value of our, our networking and of, of membership. Well, let's let's talk about uh, ramping up real quick. With um, I kind of see this scenario where it could be kind of chicken before egg uh, kind of scenario where you have this membership you want to build. You obviously want to present me- merchants with a nice, lucrative membership base. And then at the same time, you also want to present the membership base with nice, lucrative uh, merchants and deals and offers that uh, obviously make sense for them to join. How did you go about ramping that part up? How did you get people to, to believe in your vision? Or how did you sell your vision and get merchants on board while you hadn't really officially started um, with members? Like you mentioned, you started with a, a hundred personal invites first, but you already had merchants on board. Sure. Well, I mean, I think as, as any good entrepreneur knows, the, the harder you try, the, the luckier you get. And, you know, in, in this case, definitely had a, a level of confidence, you know, having uh, successfully uh, built businesses in the past that um, was able to, to speak with some you know, authority and conviction and, and sense of confidence that we were going to be able to build a membership base of a very high quality. You know, that being said, um, you are doing multiple things at once. And, uh, you know, as again, entrepreneurs know, you, you need to be able to, um, you know, sort of convince a, uh, a certain group of one thing and of one people, one thing and simultaneously do, do something else and hope they come together in a way that works. And so there, there was definitely a gamble, uh, sort of calculated risk to this. And uh, having just completed our first a full year working with many of our benefit partners. I remember some of the hotels in particular when we were sort of getting the uh, uh, the annual stays and the reports, and they were sort of telling us, "Hey, you did 175 room nights at you know our hotel this past year. That was fantastic. We can't wait to work with you next year." I remember, like before they told us these numbers, thinking to myself, "Oh my God, did we even deliver two nights for these partners?" I wasn't even sure. So it. Um, it, it, it fortunately came together for us very quickly, a lot more quickly than uh, honestly anything I've done before in, in building a, a new business before. And I think um, some of that is be- because the, the benefit uh, uh, partners that we have selected and worked with, we've really tried to, to make them you know, not just aspirational. A lot of the brands are the sort of the best, uh, the leading brands in their categories, but we've tried to bring – a practicality to to this, and so our our benefit offerings are not just about you know upgrades or elite status or um, or, or this extra perk. They're um, at the core. They're about value, and so you know whether it's our hotel arrangements or whether it's the uh, arrangement to the partnerships and other categories, we're trying to at the core offer our members exceptional value and rates that. Um, you know, no one gets in a publicly available uh, situation. And so I think because of that, we were able to um, resonate very quickly with, uh, uh, with our membership base. And, you know, it, it helped in a weird way. The, the, the timing of, of when we started and how this unfolded helped because when we started first contacting some of our, our partners, we were sort of in the midst of the, the depths of the, the global economic meltdown. And, they were a little bit more receptive to trying out a new concept than you know they would be right now, and so we were able to convince them to do something that they've never done before, 
um, get a year under our belts to prove ourselves. And, you know, fortunately for us, we were able to deliver quickly for them to the point where we're now expanding and growing virtually all of our partnerships and, and adding many new ones on a weekly basis. What uh, Are you able to talk about any of the benefits partners that you have? Well, I mean, I can definitely, you know, I think I've named a few airlines and, and hotel uh, partnerships. Um, you know, for us, we, we don't like to, to focus too much attention on any one particular uh, benefit partner. But, you know, we have, um, you know, well over 100 at this point, And I think I mentioned we're you know, on a weekly basis adding. And, and these are not flash deals. These are not one-time offers. These are ongoing uh, relationships that we bring to our our members. Um, you know, for example, on the hotel side, um, I've intentionally structured it so our hotel program. Um, there are a series of ongoing rates that are available with um, very uh, liberal cancellation policies. I remember when I traveled uh, my days of varsity, I was frequently on the road three, four, even five days a week. And, uh, you know, you would think you'd be in a meeting in L.A. on Tuesday, but it would turn out you would end up being in Chicago. And so uh, I'd always need to uh, book uh, in places that uh, um, allowed me to cancel almost, you know, up until the time I had to check in. And so when we structured our rates and our agreements with hotel partners, we did this in the mindset that our members are, need to be very spontaneous. And so. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we have one hotel in which we do, you know, an advance paid non-refundable fare. That's just something that's not founders card like. You so know, you're we, going to bat for the, the the people, the members that are that are joining this, to thinking in their mindset too, because you're right. Any any other memberships package uh, might not exactly fit the lifestyle of a founder or an entrepreneur who's a risk taker or someone who you know needs to be in Miami and then you know obviously have to go out to um, San Francisco for a quick. Uh, meeting or something like that to be very spontaneous. So you actually worked with the merchants and your benefits package partners to have the the pre knowledge that these are founders, these are people who are moving quickly and they need to respect some of those things. And you actually go to bat for them. Exactly, and I think you know the other side to that is you know I remember when I was traveling, I wanted to stay in some great places, but didn't want to pay top dollar like any good entrepreneur. So <laughs> right. you know whether you want to stay it's about at the, being lean. You got it. So, you know, you want to stay at the, the new hot hotel, whether that's a standard or a W. You know, we, we have these kind of properties for our members and have structured um, them in a way that uh, it, it really works and it speaks to the way that they travel. So, um, you know, it's, it's been um, very well received. The other thing that we're increasingly doing on the benefit side is, you know, it occurred to us that we, of course, have all of these founders of these companies that uh, are members, and um, you know, a few of them said, "Hey, I want to structure a benefit offering of our own company for fellow Founders Card members," and um, and that's since become one of the fastest growing areas of um, what what we have and what we're doing. And so, whether it's um, you know a, a company like a, a Village Vines, a One Medical Group, a Groove Shark. Um, you know, we have now fantastic benefit offerings that, that go side by side with our, you know, better named, better named, better, more well-known uh, benefit partners like, uh, you know, American Airlines or Starwood. Um, and it's just been a great blend of new hot companies um, that come directly from a ranks of our members 
um, and uh, more established companies, you know, all of all the, the benefits of which accrue to, to our members. Do you mind if I uh, name off a few of my favorites? No, I'd love to hear. Uh, so a few of my favorites are Guilt City, uh, Grasshopper, because uh, who doesn't need an awesome phone line for their for their business? And the guys over at Grasshopper are good friends of mine, and I love them to death. Uh, let's see where else you got rack space. You got AT&T and who doesn't love fancy hands, right? I use fancy hands so much, uh, in this, in this podcasting business, there's times when I don't have time to do a lot of research. And, um, actually one of the reasons why I even joined founders car was because I was like, well, immediately I'm going to get a, a discount with this and a discount with that, a discount with that. And I added it up and it was, you know, overall, it was going to be more savings than I was paying to join. So I was like, this is a no-brainer. Plus, they're going to keep growing and adding more. But those are some of my favorites. I'm sure there's tons more. I don't travel that often, uh, but when I do, I definitely plan to utilize the W Hotels and different ones that uh, are being offered here. Well, that's, that's great to hear. And I think that's sort of the, the calculus that a lot of our members you know, come to in terms of you know, it's sort of part aspirational, part practical. And uh, I think we have a good blend um, that we've established and uh, – we're really excited to you know, sort of keep going at this and, uh, and adding some, some new ones on a weekly basis. One of the bigger questions I want to ask you, and I'm hoping that you have just a phenomenal answer for this one, and I think when we talked about it pre the show, you had mentioned you were going to think about it. So I don't want to put you too much on the spot, but I'm wondering if there's anything on the horizon uh, for Founders Card, anything super secret that no one else knows about that you can talk about today here on the show. Well, we definitely have some amazing deals in the uh, in the works that uh, not ready to specifically announce anyone, but uh, we, we you know we expect some blockbuster ones. And what's interesting, though, and not to punt the the answer here, but um, <laughs> what's interesting is sometimes we anticipate um, you know uh, a certain reception when we announce benefits and. Um, you know, we're thinking, oh God, everyone's going to love this one and everyone's going to, you know, take advantage of it in the next, you know, few, few hours, a few days. And sometimes it turns out that, you know, it's the member company benefits that become our most popular. We've had a few of those that just have been phenomenally well received. But, you know, again, it's being done in a way that, you know, it's not a flash sale model. So you do it on your, at your own speed, at your own time. And these aren't situations where, you know, you have 24 hours to take advantage of it. It's an ongoing um, situation where you're constantly uh, um, growing with us, and, and I always tell people that um, you know once they become a member, it's you know they're sort of growing with us, and they're sort of you know uh, building it with us because so many of our benefit offerings have come from member suggestions. Um, you know, we've added a lot of benefits that are in the, the co-working space, uh, shared, shared office space, and those have directly come from uh, member companies, but. Uh, we definitely have a, a, a lot of, of big things that are in the works, and uh, you'll be the first to know, Adam, when, when we're uh, ready to announce them. That sounds good. Actually, I have uh, just two more closing questions I want to leave with, and I think um, if uh, for those listeners out there, there's probably some merchant listeners out there, potential merchant listeners or benefits partners that, uh, that might be listening thinking, hey, how can I get involved? I want to tap into this too. This sounds great. And there might even be some listeners thinking, you know, Founders Card is just what I need. I do a lot of traveling. I, I'm obviously a founder or an entrepreneur and I do these different things. Um, so on two sides, for the listener who is a founder or an entrepreneur, how do they get involved um, and how do they get invited, I guess? Uh, obviously, you probably have to know somebody, but uh, on the merchant side, how do they get in touch with you to learn about your uh, 
your benefits partner packages and, and how they can jump in, uh, in with you and help out? Sure. I mean, if, if anyone goes to founderscar.com, they'll see a, um, you know, what is our public website, which isn't much of anything. And that's obviously by design because everything is, uh, is, uh, um, members only password protected, but what you can do on that a website at founderscar.com, whether you're a uh, potential business partner looking to uh, to become a benefit partner or a prospective uh, member looking to apply, you can get information there. But the best thing to do for an entrepreneur that's looking for um, potential membership is, you know, whether it's uh, finding someone on Twitter or, uh, or Facebook or just kind of asking around, increasingly, um, you know, they'll probably know someone in, in their network that is a Founders Card member that can uh, shoot them off uh, an invite and, uh, and they can fill out an application and, and be part of the fun. And what is, it, what is it for the member who does invite? What does it mean for them to invite people? Um, well, I mean, there again, you know, we, we really expect our members to contribute and sort of, you know, uh, be part of, of growing and building and, and referring people. So, you know, we do... Uh, limit um, invitations uh, to to our members. They, they, they have ten invitations, so um, you know they're obviously uh, <laughs> the intention is for them to use them them wisely. wisely. Yeah. But uh, um, you know, it's uh, our, their growth. It's 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 funny, and this kind of loops back to the the varsity learning experiences when uh, so much of that was just trying to whether it was that first business model or the second, we were just trying to do uh, more and more of everything. I hear so much of what we're trying to do is really the, the quality aspect, not the quantity. And sure, we are looking to grow um, both in terms of uh, additional members as well as uh, benefit partners, but we're really mostly focused on quality. And that's sort of a very refreshing way to, um, you know, a lens from which to to have as a primary guide in, uh, in building a business and uh, to not really get caught up so much on the quantity. And, you know, we don't really have metrics where we focus on how many, um, you know, how many members we're striving for in a particular uh, month or year or week. And it's, uh, it, you know, we, we're now fortunate that we do have a wait list, um, you know, of, of members and uh, the focus is, is so much on, on quality, um, but we're, really, really looking to, to grow it in, uh, you know, in the sort of the right kinds of ways. Well, Eric, I, uh, yeah, as I, as you know, I'm a member and I enjoy what I get from founders card, but, uh, I, I compliment you heavily on your tenacity to go out and take another risk, uh, having been through what you've been through. And obviously this one's paying off great. And I appreciate what you're doing for the entrepreneur and founder community who is, uh, is such a big, component of this the success and and you know big piece of our greater economy you know i think that uh, everybody kind of knows that small businesses are the you know they're the heartbeat really of america and and it's it's awesome that you gave back in this way so i appreciate you coming on the show and uh, i appreciate your time yeah that's that's great to hear and, and you know sort of close by saying the uh, i'm used to in a business that you know the only people you typically hear from are the the customers that uh, have an issue or a problem, you, know, you don't expect to have people call you up and say how wonderful everything is working. But uh, Founders Card has been a very different experience. I, I 
been really overwhelmed by the emails that we receive on a daily basis from members that are so thankful and appreciative and amazed by you know, what we're doing and building and interested in being a part of. And it's just been a phenomenal response. So it's great to be on the show, Adam, and uh, appreciate uh, the opportunity to, uh, to talk to you about Founders Club. Yeah. Thank you for coming on the show, Eric.